Welcome to another episode of Any Given Friday, the official podcast of Lake Country Sports. Today's Friday, May the 10th, and we're up to episode 37 of season 2. And uh, we got a lot of things to talk about this week. And for once, uh, after, what, about two weeks, we're, we are all here together, ready to record. My name is Justin Harper, I'm the sports editor of Lake Oconee News, and with me is Brandon Bush, the Eat to Messenger sports reporter. Uh, we were in two completely separate places last week and record over the phone. There was a lot of static on the on the audio, so we apologize yeah. for that. But uh, we are a very low budget podcast. If you haven't figured that out by now, so when we when we had to go on the road, it gets even worse. But we're all together again finally, and uh, we got a great show planned today. And we're gonna let Brandon kick it off with the latest on uh, soccer and baseball throughout Putnam County. Well, we'll get the bad news out of the way first. Uh, Gatewood Baseball has um, come to an end. They were swept by the Piedmont Cougars in the second round of the state playoffs. The Gators had a six-game win streak going into this postseason. Um, that included two blowout victories over Memorial Day in the first round of the playoffs. They defeated the Blue Thunder 16-1 in the first game, and then 18-0 in the second game. So, two... Uh, mercy rule victories after only three innings. Um, Walt Jared and Luke Haley both had three RBIs in that game. Yeah, the Gators just absolutely showed up in this first round. Unfortunately, they played one of their most hated rivals in the second round. They weren't able to get it done. Piedmont um, took it to Gatewood pretty early in this game. Um, after only two innings, they were already up 8-0. to So, they... Um, they got out to a hot start, and the Gators just couldn't recover. Um, in game two, they fell behind two to zero. They were able to catch back up, tie the game at two and two. But um, the Cougars scored two runs in the fifth inning. So uh, Gators got knocked out in the second round, and a pretty pretty tough way to go down to against a hated rival like the Piedmont Cougars. But um, this was still a really good season for the. Gatewood Gators. Um, a lot of highs and lows. They started out on a five-game winning streak. After spring break, they got Mercy ruled three straight games. And then they finished out with a six-game winning streak. Um, heading into that series against Piedmont. Uh, but the Gatewood Gators baseball season has come to an end. As I said, they've had a lot of good moments this season, but um, just fell short in the second round. And now for some good news. Uh, the Putnam County War Eagles have moved on to the Elite Eight round of the state playoffs. Um, we're recording on a Thursday. Tonight, they'll go on the road and play Harlem High School. Um, interesting thing about this game, they played Harlem High School in the Elite Eight round last season, um, except that was at Alrius Field in Edenton. This time, they'll be going on the road down to Harlem, Georgia. Um, the War Eagles got here, and after what was a pretty... Crazy, pretty exciting, and pretty dramatic game against another Eagles team. Uh, they went all the way to Rome uh, to play Kusa High School. They won that game 2-1. to one. Kusa came out extremely hot in this game. In under two minutes, they scored their first goal and were leading 1-0. to zero. But Putnam County came alive on defense. Um... They took several shots on the goal, but uh, goalkeeper Victor Hernandez was he was all over it. Um, so really good defensive job for the rest of that first half by the Putnam County War Eagles. 
And then finally they're able to get things going on offense. Um, and even less time than that Kusa player um, scored the first goal in the first half. In the second half, I'm, I'm pretty sure after only 50 seconds or so, Brian Ariola from Putnam County, he found the goal. He tied the game up. And then later on, Brenton Nelson scored the uh, the second goal to put them ahead. So Putnam County was able to come back in the second half and defeat a really talented um, Coosa Eagles team. As I said, they went on the road on Thursday to play the Harlem Bulldogs, who are 17-4 and this season, um, undefeated in their region. So this is going to be another tough challenge. And as I said, it's a pretty interesting rematch considering they played in the Elite Eight round last season. So um, uh, we will keep you up to date with what's going on with Putnam County in this playoff uh, game. But yeah, um, defeating Kusa 2-1, to they're still alive, they're still in it. Um, and it should be a really interesting matchup. Yeah, obviously that game is going to be decided after this episode hits the airwaves, but uh, hopefully Putnam was able to handle that Harlem heat. Well, Putnam County isn't the only team that's still doing well in soccer. So, uh, Justin, tell us what's going on with the Titans and Lady Titans. I meant to mention this earlier, but we got some golf teams representing in the uh, state tournaments. Uh, Morgan County sent both their boys and girls teams there. And LOA sent Katie and Kelly Sheck for the girls uh, as a team. Ryan Smith and Ryland Black are going to compete as individuals on the boys' side. So, uh... Uh, I meant to recognize them last week, totally forgot about it, but uh, certainly wish them the best of luck. That'll be toward the end of this month. Uh, on Wednesday night, LOA's soccer teams hosted, ironically, the same team, the Academy for Classical Education, a.k.a. Ace Charter, and uh, split the two games. The girls, I'll start with them first. Uh, they took an unfortunate 4-1 to loss, and uh, as a result, they were eliminated from the playoffs. This was a Final Four game, so... A win would have put them in the state championship round, just could not handle them. Ace brought out a really strong attack all the season long. We have not seen very many teams match up with LOA's speed, but Ace absolutely did. Uh, LOA was just uh, battling the entire time, uh, both from a competitive standpoint and from a personnel standpoint. Less than two minutes into the game, uh, Kirsten Reese, one of their best players, was down for several minutes after appearing to injure her knee or leg, whatever the case was. She was able to come back in, but a very scary moment. And Elway had two or three more girls go down at different points with, with some sort of injury or cramp or whatever the case was. And uh, It was a very physical game, but Elway did get on top first. Uh, Jackie Hernandez scored on a PK at the 25-26 mark to take a 1-0 lead. And then after that, it was all ace pretty much. They tied it up and they took the lead just before halftime, and the second half, they, they piled on with those last two goals uh, to pull ahead and clinch the win. So it was a very tough loss to end the year for LOA. Uh, obviously, you always want to go play for that state championship, and they missed it by one game. But nonetheless, this was a wildly successful year for the Lady Titans. They went 11-4-3 and overall, and uh, remember, they, they did win the Region 7A championship for the very first time, so... A, a, a already a historic season for them, even before the playoffs started. Uh, they had been on a four-game winning streak up until uh, Wednesday night's loss, so they really caught fire down the stretch. Uh, they defeated Drew Charter in the first round of the playoffs, one to nothing. 
and Troop led six to nothing last week and uh, looked really really good in both of those games and uh, it, it was just a a, a a I guess a a cementing of the fact that they had really stepped up this season and taken a big stride as a program and uh, it definitely showed with that deep playoff run you know they had a very easy region uh, I'm not going to mince words with you it was a weak region and it probably will be again next year but. Uh, they they certainly had to earn their way to the final four round, and uh, they they did a good job of doing that. The most encouraging part for uh, LA's girls is they they're pretty much going to return everybody. They are going to lose Fernanda Patino and Tori Ellison, who are two of their rocks on the back line. So the defense is going to take a hit in the graduation, and uh, Tamber Gilbert, who was the uh, backup goalkeeper, she's gonna she's gonna be gone too. So uh, they, they'll have to replace those three for sure. They're going to miss them all, but. By and large, the core of this team is coming back. So even though this year did end in disappointment, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to be right back in a position to uh, make up for it next year. And as I mentioned, LOA split those two games with Ace. So that means that the girls lost. Obviously, the boys had to win, and they won in a, a very, very competitive game. 4-1 to one final there. Uh, excuse me, 4-2 to two final was the uh, boys' score. They got yet another hat trick out of John Clay Wofford. Uh, and Troy Weir scored a, a monster goal with about 21 minutes left to put LA ahead 2-1 after Ace had tied it up. It was the biggest goal of the night by far. There was, there was an explosion of cheer out of the bench, out of the, yeah, the, the stands. It was just a crazy, crazy atmosphere from that point on, and uh, LA was really able to clamp down. Uh, so at, at that point, that moved LA up to 13-7-1 overall this year. Brandon, they're on a nine-game winning streak. That's pretty much unheard of around this area. Usually our teams, they'll get hot, but they, they, they drop a game or two. LA has not lost in quite a while. They've got a very tough task, though. They're going to play for the state championship. I've been told, I cannot confirm this, but I've been told that game is going to be Thursday at 7.30 p.m. down at Mercer University. Uh, regardless of wherever it is, of course, we'll have the official uh, schedule up on our Facebook page, but... They're going to be playing GMC Prep, which is 18-2 this year, so an incredibly strong year for the for the Bulldogs. These two teams met earlier this year, and LOA dropped that game 2-1 to back on March the 5th, but obviously that was before the Titans really caught fire. Uh, and here's another interesting uh, wrinkle to this storyline. Julie Brooker, who's the head coach of the Titans, actually used to coach at GMC. She coached this program, so uh, she's meeting up with some some familiar faces there. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'll be at that game, of course, providing all the live updates. And uh, we'll be sure to keep you posted on all of that stuff. And Brandon's going to have updates from the Putnam-Harlem game. Obviously, we can't give you the final score here, but uh, you can always find that over on our social media. And, uh, yeah, so it, the the exciting times are continuing for our uh, area of soccer. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch how everything shakes out this next week. Well, this is It Again Friday, and as I mentioned at the very top of the show, we are all back together again, reunited for the first time in a few weeks. And that means we got to bring in Will Petty, the editor of Bald Bulletin. What is happening, Will? It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, he's been a busy man. We've been, Brandon and I have been all over the place, so it's nice to all finally be together again. And uh, we are in the thick of the NBA playoffs, and we haven't talked about shooting hoops in a while, but let's break it all down now. We're through the first round, and we've seen a lot of interesting scenarios take take place. So what are you guys seeing out of these, these playoffs so far? What do you think about uh, everything that we've seen so far? I hate Portland. 
<laughs> yeah. Can't imagine why. They're well, dead to me. Hipsters. Well, um, I don't know if we talked about it. But my, my San Antonio Spurs actually showed up. They took the Denver Nuggets to seven games, but, you know, unfortunately got knocked out and in the first round. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about this. Um, I, I still think the Golden State Warriors are probably going to go all the way this year, but they have not looked good in this playoffs at all. They've lost some, they lost a couple home games to the Los Angeles Clippers, and then they just barely held on last night. They have a 3-2 to two series lead over the Houston Rockets, but um, Steph Curry was already not 100%, and then Kevin Durant um, left with that leg injury. They were talking about him having an MRI at some point soon, so I don't know. The Warriors, they haven't been looking good, and now they, they might be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, you know, um, those are just two uh, players that are very paramount to any success Golden State's going to have, and um, you know, if either one of them, I mean, I'd say if Durant's out for sure, and um, Curry still is not one hundred percent. I mean, stars could align, the Rockets could shoot on to the uh, next round. Ah. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, I disagree. Of course, y- y'all know me. I'm going to preach the, the gospel of Golden State until the cows come home. Until I see them lose, until I see them implode from all these issues that are very, very significant, obviously, like you said, I'm not diminishing those uh, situations whatsoever. Until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Golden State knows how to come together when the going gets tough. We've seen it numerous times. And once they clear Houston, this might be their only uh, legit threat of uh, not making the Western Conference Finals or even the NBA Finals, I should say. Uh, so I feel like Golden State's going to be able to pull it off. I'm a lot more comfortable after that Game 5 win, 104-99. to By the way, those final scores have been crazy close, so really heck of a series there uh, between these two dominant teams. But I have not lost a bit of my confidence in Golden State. Until I see otherwise, I'm still going to roll with them. So with that said, we, we're, we're several games deep into this thing. Uh, have, your, have your predictions changed at all, and, and what are – some of your biggest expectations for the remainder of the playoffs. Well, clearly Oklahoma City's not going to win at all, <laughs> so uh, I'm out of that. But Sorry, that was never going to happen. But, yeah. but uh, you know, I think the Bucks are holding strong. I mean, they just yeah. dominated the Celtics. Yes, it was. Yeah, it um, was embarrassing. Right here on any given Friday, I just want to put out a missing persons notice for the Boston Celtics. If you have any information, please. Please contact us immediately. <laughs> Don't worry. And the Bruins are about to fall off, too, if we're going to speak of Boston sports. So. Yeah. They've got the Patriots and the defending World Series champs. I think Boston's doing a little more than okay these days. But, uh, you know, I think that's going on. Uh, I think Philadelphia and Toronto is becoming a really interesting uh, series. Um, can't really put my finger on who's going to win. I think Toronto's going to pull it off. So, I mean, I think you're on the Toronto-Milwaukee Eastern Final. That's going to be quite entertaining to watch. Um, you know, between the Trailblazers and the Nuggets, I don't think either one of them can beat Golden State. I think if Golden State's going to go out, they're going to have to go out to Houston. But uh, if they can, if they get this last game over Houston, it's going to be Golden State versus either Toronto or Milwaukee. And I would, I would say I think Milwaukee would have the better chance of at least get the seven with them. Yeah, I think 
it's kind of a moot point who wins this Nuggets Trailblazers game. If Golden State advances, then Golden State is just going to go right on to the championship game. But that being said, um, I think they do need to get together a little bit. They don't have DeMarcus Cousins. And as I said, Steph Curry has not been 100%. And now Kevin Durant might have a potential injury. But um, this this team, you know, as we've talked about on, on the show, this team has a lot of resiliency and they're able they're able to pull it together especially in in the worst of times so um i think they are going to overcome this houston rockets team um it might go seven games i don't know but i think they're going to be able to get past so um right right now i would go ahead and say that it's i i would say the final four right now is i would say the western conference final will be the Denver Nuggets and the Golden State Warriors. I think the Nuggets are going to edge out the Trailblazers, and it's starting to look like Raptors and Bucks in the Eastern Conference. Um, don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I think we might be heading for Warriors Bucks in the NBA Championship, which I think would be a really interesting matchup. I really, I, I really am amazed with how good of a team the Bucks are this year. I'm just glad it's not Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we won't be seeing Cleveland. Cleveland and the NBA championship anytime soon. I hope they enjoyed that one that they got a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we're heading for Bucks Golden uh, Golden State, and this Bucks team I think is really great. Um, Giannis, I'm, I'm not going to try and say his full name, but Giannis is an is an absolute superstar. They got a lot of other good players like Eric Bledsoe. Um, yeah, just completely took it to the Boston Celtics. Even though the Boston Celtics have um, a lot of a lot of problems with their team that's been holding them back. Um, one of which is named Kyrie Irving. Um, but uh, I, I think the Celtics at the end of the day were still a solid team. But the Bucks just absolutely took it to them. It, it didn't matter how good or how dysfunctional the Celtics were. There was no way the Bucks were losing that series. So it's going to be interesting watching um, how this NBA season wraps up. I agree with you. I think it's going to be Milwaukee and Golden State in the uh, in the finals at the end of all of this. I'm going to go ahead and shoot my shot. Uh, let's see. Game six of Golden State and Houston is going to be tomorrow night at 9 p.m. If Golden State wins, uh, the Warriors will advance. I'm going to go ahead and say they pull it off. They're, they're in the face of all of this craziness. And what have I always told you all? No matter what happens, Golden State always finds a way, especially in the playoffs. It's going to hold true. This is not a prediction. This is a spoiler. Golden State, even if it has to go to that seventh game back in Oakland, Golden State is is going to win this series. It's going to go all the way and win the championship once again. All right, well, you know us on any given Friday. We love our football, and uh, we got to, we're going to talk about football the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a pretty major topic that broke this past week. Not a surprise to us here, as you know, we, we – Pretty much called this a few weeks back, but it is official. Georgia and Oklahoma are going to play a home-and-home series against each other. It's going to be held in Norman in 2023, and then Athens is going to host the series. (laughs) And then Athens is going to host the series in 2031. So, obviously, Will Petty has an opinion on this. 
Will, you grew up in, around the Norman area. In Norman. I, in Norman. Okay. Yeah. I stand corrected. I was one block from the uh, football field where all the greatest moments in history for Oklahoma happened. <laughs> so you grew up there. You graduated from UGA after you grew up and got a little bit smarter about your college football alliances. So what are you thinking about this? And, and what are your what is your feeling as both an Oklahoma fan and a Georgia fan? Well, number one, I'm excited because I've been looking for an excuse to go to Norman sooner than later. That's so, sooner. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, I'll be booming over there soon enough. And, uh, you know, I'm glad a lot of my friends come out from Oklahoma to Georgia when we are all in our 40s. Now, anyhow, um, as far as the game itself goes, I, I'm i excited. I think 2023 is going to be, you know, pretty good. I mean, that's going to be both Lincoln Riley and, you know, Kirby Smart. I think both of them by 2023 might even have a title. So, you know, I don't think either team's going is shying away from the playoffs anytime soon. Um so I'm really excited to see what happens. I like the fact that this is going to be a game that determines really early on who you know who's going to go where and all that stuff as far as potential for playoffs. Um, I hate the fact that it's an eight-year stretch. I think that is a little excessive, to say the least. I mean, I get it. I understand there was no other time two teams could get together. But it sort of seems to me that with the way that teams cancel stuff all the time, there might be a way for them to even get another home and home in between these eight years. I mean, it could happen. Yeah, but you got you got to nail it down while while you know the opportunities on the table. Oh man, no, it I does can't. suck. But that's just the nature of college football in 2019. Because every team, the major teams, are going to this model where. You know you have to have those signature wins for the college football playoff. So. Plus, Oklahoma has one less out-of-conference opponent every year right. they do the round-robin style of the Big 12. Right. So right. So it, it had to be done. It sucks that we got, like, four or five years, something like that, for the first one. Then, like you said, an eight-year gap between those two games. But, yeah, I'm excited. I, I've always kind of had a soft spot for Oklahoma. But when, when it's time to tee it up against the dogs, obviously – my allegiances will be aligned with Georgia, but well, it's at, least be fun blood, to watch. at least my blood pressure is going to be down this time around because we're not. Well, I'm watching the two play for a national title here. They're they're playing, right. you know, or for the opportunity. Excuse me for a national title. Right. They're 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 playing in the early on in the season to see who's a better team. So. Well, who knows what's going to happen between then and now? I mean, they're they are both right there. But Georgia and Oklahoma are destined to be among that top four year in year out for for the foreseeable future, oh, yeah. along with Alabama and Clemson. So we we may not have to wait until twenty twenty three, then another eight years. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. About well, it I will sure. say those. I love the way that both teams are like lining up opponents. Right. I mean. You know, you know we've already talked about how, uh, for instance, Georgia has Clemson and Georgia has uh, FSU and all stuff like that. You know, Oklahoma is about the same. Um, you know, I'm looking through here right now. Uh, UCLA this year, Tennessee next year. Ooh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what a juggernaut! <laughs> uh, but they got uh, Nebraska in 2021 and 2022, and so you know they're bringing back that old rivalry. Uh, Georgia in 2023, Tennessee in 2024, Michigan in 25-26, LSU in 27-28, Nebraska again 29-30, Georgia, Alabama, Alabama, Clemson, Clemson. So, I mean, every, you know, they're them and Georgia are both doing the same thing. They're getting these really high-caliber opponents, and I'm loving every minute of it. 
Yeah, it's um, I've said it before. Um, I I really, I I think the SEC, and this is not just being an SEC fan. The SEC is like objectively the best conference in football, and I think this just silences a lot of the criticism even more when SEC teams are going out and actively trying to um, have these marquee matchups with uh, other big powerhouse schools. So, you know. I, I think it's I think it's good for the conference as a whole to be seeing more games like this. Well, I mean, Auburn's got uh, Alabama State and Alabama A and M and uh, California and Baylor. If, if yeah. they if they can clear those hurdles, <laughs> man, yeah, I mean, get, guarantee Gus for life. I, hey, in their defense, though, they do get Penn State twenty one and twenty two, so that that I'll give you that one. But we're uh, we're opening next year with Oregon. Yeah, this coming season. Yeah. And a year after, you're opening it with North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, aside from Morgan, you get Tulane, Kent State, and Samford. <laughs> real, real, real tough. Going it, it's going to be hilarious when Auburn loses to one of those teams. Kent, Kent State. At some point. Yeah, yeah, Kent State. And then we get yeah, name 32 million reasons why Gus is still there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, is, that provides a great segue because... Uh, I don't know if y'all saw this earlier this week, but the Post and Courier up in the uh, Charleston, South Carolina area uh, news outlet uh, got together with some of the writers and ranked all 28 ACC and SEC head football coaches. They mixed them all together and came up with a a definitive ranking, in their opinion. I'll just give you the top five. It's a pretty all-over-the-place... Yeah. Really? It is all over the place. Will Petty has just seen what I'm about to point out. Number one is Dabo Sweeney. Number two, Nick Saban. Number three is Dan Mullen. Number four, Kirby Smart. Number five, Jimbo Fisher. Uh, So, Will, you kind of showed your hand there, but I'll let you get us started. What do you think about their top five, and what would your top five ACC, SEC head coaches list look like? Well, I'm looking at their whole list, and, you know, one and it's two. It's controversial. One and two, okay. Okay. Beyond that, it's kind of a load of crap. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm, I am in the minority. I do think that Dan Mullen is a good enough coach. But let's also talk about the fact that, you know, basically he did a lot of good things at Mississippi State. You know, a school that was not expecting much, a school that just kind of right off your list, and then all of a sudden he was starting to pull some upsets. Now he's at Florida, you know, he's at a big boy school. He's got to figure it out. He's not been there long enough to really warrant that ranking. Kirby, I mean, I get it. Kirby does not have to be number three. I mean, I would put Jimbo over him right now. And the reason for that is it's so early, you know, he's still building his legacy. You can't really say that a guy that's been at the coaching helm for, what, three or four years is the third greatest or the best coach in the conference. Like, it's just not true. So, um, he, you know, he's not, uh, I get it. it he's, he's a young coach. He's still got plenty of time to build that legacy. Um, you know, if I really had to pick my top five out of these two conferences... Willie Taggart's number twenty-eight. <laughs> I mean, that one's—that's the easiest one to rank out of all. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt, number twenty-four. Um, okay, I'll, I'll throw in some controversial names myself. So I'm gonna go ahead and say Saban is still number one. 
Uh, I can I see the argument for Swinny too, but I'm going to say Saban. Then I'm going to say Dabo. Then I'm going to say Jimbo. Uh, number four, this is going to be one that maybe throws a couple people off, but, uh, get, you know, I, I honestly have to say uh, Mark Stoops has been pretty impressive too, uh, just given where he's at and what he's had to work with. You know, I think that if you put him in one of these better top-tier schools, he could definitely, you know, do a lot better than what he's done with Kentucky. And I'll say Kirby number five. Yeah, I just, uh, I just put out this list, put Gus at number six. Can, can I quote what they said about Gus Malzahn? I swear to God. Sure. I, I almost died laughing at this. Honestly, I we, we could shut it down because there will never, ever be a more perfect description of Auburn head coach Gus Malzahn than what I'm about to read to you now. Their, their little blurb about Gus simply says, always a week away from the hot seat or potential greatness. Not many coaches could walk that tightrope. That's true. That is yeah. perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well done, whoever wrote that. That is the one thing that I, I will I will very much applaud this list for, is, is that yeah. description. Yeah, but um, like Will said, I think Dan Mullen's a solid enough coach, but, you know, I, I, I really but I would not put him this high. I mean, he's had one year at Florida. I mean, I know he's done pretty solid things with Mississippi State, but he's had one year at Florida, and Florida was just like, Florida was okay. You know, I, I think they did pretty decent, but overall I think they were an okay team. Um, I don't know what they're going to look like this year, but I don't think Dan Mullen's proven himself in Florida quite yet. He's the Jim Harbaugh of the SEC. Yeah. It's, it's, it's too early to tell whether... You know, he's able to replicate the same success at two different schools. So, I think putting him that high right off the bat is, um, I think it's too early for that. So, I would agree with Dabo and then Nick. And then, um, I would probably move Jimbo Fisher up to number three. I know it's too early for him too, but um, I think Texas A&M has a lot more going for it than Florida going into the next year. And I think that uh, Jimbo Fisher, you know, he's got a national championship. He's got, he's done, his resume at Florida State is way better than Dan Mullen's resume at Mississippi State, I think. So I think that Texas A&M is going to be, eventually going to be uh, better off with Jimbo than Florida is with Dan Mullen. So I'd move him up to number three. I would say uh, Kirby at number four. I mean, you know, Georgia's in a renaissance right now. They're um, a really good program right now, playing at a national championship, go to the playoffs again right after that. So I think Georgia's in a really good uh, position right now. And I can't believe I'm about to do this. All the way Don't up. do it. What? Don't, don't do it, Brandon. No, it's not what you think. It's Jeremy Pruitt. It's not what you think. <laughs> Not, don't don't put more gas in the gas bus. Don't I, do it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm okay. not. I'm not. I'm I this is equally shocking. Um if you scroll down and look at number sixteen. What what am I doing with them, man? I gotta tell you what, man. You're, I, you're, I, know, hey, I get it. I know about You're gonna find you're gonna find some strange creature that crawled out of the out of the bayou. <laughs> No, but like, you know, say what you want. Ed Orgeron, you know, 
he had a shaky start. He lost to Troy. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of questions about LSU, but LSU was a really solid team last year. I, even though they didn't show up against Alabama, they were still neck and neck with Alabama. Yeah, I think I think Ed Ogeron, you know, I think he's I think he's doing a good job at LSU, and like I hate saying that because I hate LSU. Um, and we are Owens Auburn is Owen two against the swamp person, sadly. But you know, I think what he's done at LSU, it deserves a lot of credit. And I think LSU is um, still going to be in a good position for the next couple of seasons. So, yeah, you know that. I can't believe I did that, but you know, at Orgeron, I would put him at number five. Uh, well, for me, listen, I, I hate it. Pains me to say this. Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. I'm sorry, Bear Bryant fans. Nobody's done what Saban's done in this short of an amount of time. He is the goat. So even though he just got his butt kicked in a glorious national championship against Clemson, I still got to put uh, Old Saint Nick up there at number one. Dabo is a very, 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 very close second though. Uh, and then is where it gets interesting. Uh, with all due respect to the Post and Courier, we have all the evidence we need between to distinguish between Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen is not the third best coach in the ACC SEC, uh, and he certainly should not be ranked higher than Kirby. They've gone against each other twice as head coaches. Kirby beat the absolute snot out of his team both times. Obviously, the the flea flicker uh, play against uh, Mississippi State is a highlight, and then uh, beating the crap out of Florida once again this past year is a highlight. And that's not even including what Kirby was able to do as an assistant at Alabama head-to-head with uh, Mississippi State. So, you cannot put Dan Mullen at number three. You cannot put him above Kirby Smart. You cannot put either of those, though, above Jimbo Fisher. Uh, he's He might be the most underrated head coach in all college football today. I think Jameis Winston in, in the last several years, uh, even though he's a very controversial figure, you can say what you want about him, it, it seems like he gets most of the credit for that, that amazing Florida State season, but... Uh, let's not forget the fact Jimbo did a heck of a job coaching that team and building it up through recruiting. He's already started implementing those same tactics at Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M was instantly better with Jimbo Fisher than it ever was with what's-his-face. I can't even remember his name because he never did anything. So you have to put Jimbo up there. Oh, someone. Kevin Sumlin. There you go. And by the way, the top three, uh, for me at least, the top three, are three of the only four head coaches, active head coaches, with national championships, and the only person we're missing is the Mad Hatter himself, Les Miles. So after Jimbo, I would put Kirby Smart, and then um, uh, Willie Taggart. I mean, he's he's just an incredible <laughs> coach. Now, I'd go with Dan Mullen, who coaches one of the other worst, one of the other bad Florida teams that has to bow down to UCF every year, uh, Dan Mullen. He, he is a great coach. I just... It's laughable to put him in the top three of these two conferences, and it's laughable to put him ahead of Kirby Smart. Well, okay, since we all clearly have an SEC bias, uh, what would be the number two ACC coach? Well, uh, according to uh, the Post and Courier, uh, they have... Uh, Dave Clawson. Dave Clawson wow. from Wake Forest is number seven. Which I'd love me some demons, but I... No. 
Uh, Bronco Mendenhall, just because of his name, would be my number two. Bronco. Bronco Mendenhall. See, I'm going to go with David Cutcliffe, because he has done a lot with that Duke program. But you forget, before he got to Duke, Duke was the team that was always going 0-11, 1-10. They were the Kansas Jayhawks of the East Coast. And, uh, you know, since he's gotten there, he's gotten to bowl games. He's actually, uh, you know, he's made it a more stable program. You could not overlook Duke. Yeah. yeah. I have to I have to agree with that, especially considering that he just, prefer, he just, especially considering he just produced a first-round draft pick quarterback. Oh, goodness. Which I'll talk about in a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. As of right now today, I agree, David Cutcliffe. But if we were to come back together at the end of this coming season, my gut tells me Jeff Collins might take that number two spot. He's doing some legitimately good things recruiting-wise at Georgia Tech. Well, I, think they're, I think they're automatically going to be more competitive because they don't have an offense that was around with the dinosaurs implemented anymore. And uh, I think he's going to be – I think he is the head coach that Georgia Tech needs in this moment. I think he's going to have a good first season. Whoa, we forgot, I forgot another name on this list. How is Mac Brown number 23? Well, it's been a minute for Mac Brown. But he's won a title. It's been a minute. It's so there's quite a few five minutes. actually Tokes now that won titles. Cause he's that won. is correct. That is correct. Thank you for correcting me. I forget about old Mac Brown. It's been too long, though, to keep him up there and – the last time we saw him coach, he was he was not very good for a, a handful of years. So I get it. you got to make him earn that that status again. Twenty three though, it is low. I agree, but he's he's not a top ten, not even top fifteen. Derek Mason is above him. How is Derek? Derek Mason's done some good things the last couple of years. Put some respect on that name. Can I just uh, you know, can I can I just say that the the whole premise of this list is. A little bit crazy. I mean, <laughs> well, in all fairness, I mean, I mean, the Courier, they cover both both conferences. I mean, that's really the reason. I, I get that, but you're comparing like one conference with several good right. teams to another conference with one good team, right? It's 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 odd to me. Well, Brandon alluded to it. it it's old news at this point, but we have not had a chance to come together and talk about it. But a couple of weeks ago, we had the 2019 NFL Draft. What you guys think about it overall? And uh, what did you think about Kyler Murray going number one, and how did your teams pan out? Well, I think um, <laughs> I think this I think we saw this coming with Kyler Murray going number one, um, and the Cardinals did. You know, we, we I think we talked about it before the draft, but the Cardinals did what I think we all knew they were going to do. They got rid of Josh Rosen to make room for Kyler Murray. Um, you know, it's we're, we're just going to see how Kyler Murray does on the Arizona Cardinals because. You know, they're a team that's definitely in rebuilding, but, you know, they got a pretty good quarterback, so. And smart move by the Miami Dolphins. Oh, yeah. I mean, they picked him up for a steal, and they got, you know, the journeyman himself with him. So, uh, (laughs) you know, either way, we're going to see Ryan Fitzpatrick suit up for the ninth or tenth time, (laughs) or Rose is going to get a shot. I I think it was a brilliant move on their part. Yeah, maybe we'll see the, um, the Ryan Fitzpatrick phenomenon of, Showing up to a t- new team, balling out for a little while, and then collapsing and <laughs> moving on to the next team. Yeah, I think he's it, a maverick. Yeah, <laughs> I think both teams and both players involved came out of this the best they could have. 
Uh, you'll remember I, I told you Arizona did not need to take Kyler Murray if they still had Josh Rosen. Like you said, really, really smart trade for Miami because even if this magic doesn't work out again, and it probably won't, that's not going to happen again. I don't think <laughs> Rosen not, will be in, not in this division. It's not. Uh, but I think I think Rosen has a chance to uh, get out of the shadow of Kyler Murray because that would have been terrible to have both of them on there and. It would have been un- unnecessary attention on the team and on that quarterback battle. So, smart move all the way around. Call him Shane McMahon because he's going coast to coast. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so is he the best in the world? <laughs> all right, so. Here comes the money. All, all the, the pro wrestling references on this show this week. I love it. So, um, I kind of alluded to it um, earlier a second ago. Um, talking about coaches. Wait, are we getting a Giants rant? Yes. Yes! Yes! It's been too long. Yes. Okay, the floor is yours. New York Giants, you are stupid. Oh my God. You literally flushed your whole team down the toilet to keep Eli Manning for, for what? To milk him for two, three more mediocre seasons? And then you spend your first-round draft pick on a quarterback, on Daniel Jones out of Duke. First of all, if you're going to do that, you know Dwayne Haskins was still available, right? And second of all, why? Why throw away OBJ and, you know, any any good thing going for your team? Why would you throw all that away to keep Eli Manning for two or three more years where he's probably going to do nothing? I mean, the Eagles and the Cowboys are going to run this division. The Giants are going to get stomped on. You know, you know I, I hate I hate to praise Cowboys, but you're welcome, Justin. It, it's going to be the Eagles and the Cowboys in the NFC East. Like, y'all are going to get absolutely walked on. Y'all might split the series with the Redskins this year. That's how bad you're going to be. You're the new Browns, New York. You are literally the new Browns. But there, you, you had so many needs. And, like, to be fair, you had other first-round draft picks, and you made some good moves, but... Your very first pick, you're going to spend it on a backup quarterback. That is stupid. You are stupid, New York. Can we also talk about the fact he looks like Eli Manning? I was just about to point out, I read a joke that said, uh, he looks like the guy that you would have to play Eli Manning in a movie about Peyton Manning's life. Yes. And that is perfect. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You're so stupid, New York. I can't believe it. You're the new Browns. See, the irony of this is I think Brandon secretly has a soft spot for the Giants. I think so. I think that's what, what sets him I off. have a soft spot for Eli Manning, and I would rather them just dump Eli Manning if they're going to do crap like this. Don't don't drag the guy along for two or three more mediocre seasons. Just let him go somewhere else, play another season, and retire. Like, you, like his brother you, did? You're just, yeah. You're just, yeah, maybe it'll work out for him like it did for Brandon. Oh, it's a trust me. I've seen Eli Manning play in a lot of football. That ain't happening. Yeah. Just, <laughs> that is not happening. It's, it's, just, like, it's like the difference between like Chips Ahoy and uh, like Grandma's Best. It's just like you have, you, have, you have the only quarterback on the only team that's beaten Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl. Um, the only person to do it, period, until Nick Foles. But like... What a just, collection. Just... Yeah, just the, the what a maneuver! Just how they're just how they're handling their franchise is so dumb. It's it's 
bordering on Cleveland Browns levels of dumb, and it's just frustrating to watch. They made, Eli Manning deserves better than that. Absolutely. They made one good decision the entire draft that I saw. That was picking up DeAndre Baker from Georgia. Yeah. I'm legitimately scared about Dak Prescott having to throw in his direction because he is a lockdown quarterback for sure. Well, it's it's not going to matter. Um, it's on, a smart on, recruit. It's not going to matter on the other side because um, the Giants are probably going to have the worst O-line in the league for the third or fourth year in a row now. Just they, It's it's stupid. It's so stupid. Only in New York. <laughs> the The Jets will be better than the Giants for the next three years. But, like, count on it. You heard it here first. So, what's this all to just avoid talking about the Falcons first round? Oh, I don't have a problem with Falcons first round. I actually don't either. You're like the first I, Falcons I, fan I thought I've they... Can I, all right, here's a mini rant for me. It's not going to be as good as that. Falcons fans need to get a freaking grip. Yeah. Just because yeah, the do. Falcons don't draft a player who went to UGA does not mean they made a bad decision. Well, they never do that. This this goes back, the first time I can really recall this, is when Todd Gurley came out and, and instead of picking him, the Falcons drafted, was it Vic Beasley that year from Clemson? Yeah. And in that moment, yeah, Beasley has not been so good since then. In that moment, that was the perfect draft pick for them. They Falcons fans have got to understand that what the team needs to do is put the team's needs first and make them better overall. Because though, if you go draft those stars, that'll put butts in seats for a couple of weeks. But if they keep losing like they did last year because they didn't address the problems that they had yeah. last year, those people are going to quit coming. Yeah, The Falcons the last few years have had pretty good drafts, in my opinion, and you would never know it judged by the, the idiotic fan base. Yes, yeah. I said idiotic. Mm-hmm. And, you that's, know, that's, a, that's the reason why I hate the Falcons. That's how they act. And I can't, I can't disagree on that because the Falcons drafted this year, that's exactly what I have done. We've got we've got to upgrade our offensive line. We're, we're not getting a push. We're not getting that good of a running game. It doesn't matter if we have Freeman or Coleman or whoever. It doesn't matter who we have at running back. We get no push on the offensive line. And also, Matt Ryan is scrambling when he's when he's a white boy. He can't scramble. He's <laughs> a <laughs> white boy from Boston College. He can't scramble. Like, Well, there'll be another white boy from Boston College protecting him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also, the other thing to think about, is, and I know this is something a lot of people don't talk about, the offensive line gets paid significantly oh, yeah. less. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, it was a good financial decision as well. Yeah. So, I, I think... Um, adding Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry. Um, we already have Alex Mack, probably one of the best centers in the league. Um, yeah, just absolutely beefing up our other line. We absolutely need this. This is exactly what I would have done because it doesn't matter how many great receivers we have. It doesn't maybe matter who we have at running back, and it doesn't matter who we have at quarterback. We've got to get a push on the offensive line. That's that's how we make our O line success. That's how we make our offense successful. Also. Um, I'm okay with us not having a second or third round pick, trading up to have another first round pick because we got two awesome linemen in the first round. Um, but after that, uh, we got cornerback Kendall Sheffield out of Ohio State. You know that adds depth to our secondary because you saw last year. Lord knows we need depth on defense, so I think that's a good move. Um, John Kaminsky from Charleston. Uh, I know you're wondering like, wow, you got a player from Charleston? Like, you know, that's 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 a high school college basically. But you know, I think it's a pretty solid pick, and it's more depth on our on our 
on our defense. And some of the best players are not at the yep. you know, Power Five. I mean, look at right. this. I mean, this one of the starters from New England in the Super Bowl went to Georgia Military College. Yeah. I mean, here's another name for you. Andy Isabella drafted to the the uh, Cardinals in the second round. We saw him play George, light up Georgia, might I add, this past season yeah. with UMass. I mean, th- those just because you don't go to a Power Five, like you said, or any Division One school, does not mean you can't do big things in the NFL. Right. So I think that was a good pick. Um, I don't really. We got. We got. We got Kadri. Quadri, I don't know how to say that. Olsen from Pittsburgh. And then in round six, we got Marcus Green from Louisiana Monroe. Those are two running backs. I don't really know if running back is a really big need for us. We still got Devontae Freeman, you know, if he can stay healthy. We also got Eno Smith from, I think, last year's draft or the draft before. I can't remember. But he's a solid running back. He had some, he had some carries this past season. He looked pretty good. So I don't really know if we need... Um, really any help at running back. But, you know, the depth is always good. And also in the fifth round, we got Jordan Miller out of Washington. Another corner, more depth on defense. So this is probably, like I said, this is probably what I would have done if I was Thomas Dimitrov. So, yeah, other Falcons fans, y'all need to chill out because I I think this is great. I think this is really going to benefit our offense. And it's going to help with depth. Yeah, it's going to help I mean, with depth. I mean, depth. I mean, so that's the, I mean that was the biggest problem with Atlanta last season. I, I mean, offensive line showed our issues. The real issue was the defensive depth and the amount of injuries that yeah. plagued them. Right. I mean, we, and even when you had one or two injuries in the beginning, they were still looking like they could potentially turn it around and yeah. actually still make the playoffs at that point. It would have been a dramatically different season if they had either stayed healthy or had decent depth to, to come back yeah. onto the field. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree with you. I thought Atlanta had a pretty good draft. I'd give them probably a B, B plus. Uh, same for my Dallas Cowboys. I'd give them a solid B, uh, and I'll explain why it's not any higher than that. First of all, they did not have a first-round pick because they traded for Amari Cooper, so they did not pick until 58th in the second round. And they got Tristan Hill, a defensive tackle from uh, UCF, so – Everything I've heard about this guy is overwhelmingly positive. He's going to help with that defensive line depth after uh, Randy Gregory got suspended once again and David Irving quit the NFL with a freaking Instagram video. Uh, Plus, Hill is coming from UCS, so he's going to bring that national championship kind of mentality, and maybe he'll use that good, good, uh, the good vibes that he found in Orlando in Big D. Uh, But after that, they went with the guard, Connor McGovern. I understand that pick. They need the offensive line depth. They learned a very important lesson last year in having offensive line depth with the the, uh, debilitating injury or, I guess, illness to uh, Travis Frederick. Uh, So not a bad decision there, but if if I had the the card, I would have gone secondary there, whether it be a safety or a cornerback. Unfortunately, Dallas, the next pick went with a running back out of Memphis, Tony Pollard. They they love the guy, so they, they very clearly have big plans to involve him in the running game with Ezekiel Elliott. And then finally, they went to the secondary and drafted at pick number 158, Michael Jackson out of Miami. And then my favorite moment of the draft, pick 165, they drafted Joe Jackson out of Miami. So, wow. uh, <laughs> and a couple of more will have the whole Jackson 5 in Big D. <laughs> but overall, very good draft for Dallas. Uh, like I said, I wish they would have addressed the uh, secondary 
a little bit sooner, but I've learned to trust them in the draft. They have done an overwhelmingly positive job the last several years now. That's the reason they are, uh, like you said, going to run that NFC East yet again this year along with Philly. So uh, any complaints that I might have, they are tempered as of now, and uh, I'm going to trust and, and see all of these picks through until I make any sweeping judgments. But as of today, pretty pretty good draft. And, you know, overall, I'm honestly pretty happy with how the Steelers played out. I like the fact that they traded up and got Devin Bush from Michigan as their pick in the first round. I am my distant cousin. <laughs> I, <No>. mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody already knows we needed some work on our defense. Uh, I'm interested to see what Deontay Johnson does from Toledo. He's a wide receiver. Clearly that's someone that they decided to get in order to uh, fill the void that Antonio Brown's leaving behind. Uh, the biggest pick that they got that I was happiest about was Benny in the fourth Snell. round, Benny Snell yeah. from Kentucky. I knew it. Great pick, a very great pick, and very. I mean, you know, I'm surprised he lasted that long. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I'm happy about that. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna see him starting in black and gold sooner than later. And you know, we like I said, we got a few good players from uh, you know, we got Isaiah Bugs to t- to offensive tackle. Uh, we I mean we did well on getting our defensive players, and also you know trying to build up the two big voids and losing Bell and Brown. So yeah, pretty good draft all across the board for our teams. I just want to very quickly point out that we'll get out of here. Uh, you remember two of the biggest names coming into this past season in college football were Drew Locke and Will Greer. Y'all know I love Will Greer. I will defend that guy till the, till the cows come home. Uh, they both saw their stop plummet this year. Drew Locke might have been the number one overall pick, but he fell all the way in the second round to Denver. And Will Greer got drafted by Carolina in the third round. I thought that was pretty interesting. It makes me wonder if they've got some doubts about, uh, uh, well, what's his face? Cam Newton's long-term health. So just want to point those out. Well, I think they, well, I think they went with a hometown boy. Maybe. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. But, yeah, I think that's pretty exciting. If he ends up starting for Carolina, I think that could work out pretty well if if they have to go to him in an emergency. Well, folks, that's going to wrap us up for this week. And uh, like we said at the beginning, we've got a a couple more playoff teams, hopefully still in play, like we said, Putnam played after we recorded this. Uh, But we do know LA's boys are going to be playing for a state title. Uh, but we'll be back next week with, with another episode to catch you up on all things Lake Country, and uh, hope we uh, hope you'll come back and join us.